Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, September 19th. We are here live today. It is a power hour. Phone lines are open. Jump in and join us. We were not here live yesterday. Yesterday was a recorded show. We're here live today. Uh, it's kind of a crazy week for us. Our, our hectic fall schedule has begun We've got a lot going on this week, but we had to squeeze in a trip. We are up in the North Country. In fact, I'm waving to my Canadian friends across the border. We're uh, we're not far. We're up in Bellingham, Washington today. Uh, we came up here over the weekend. We'll be here till tomorrow night, probably. My son, Michael, and his wife, Nicole, are having a baby, our first granddaughter, we're excited about that. We needed to come up and get a visit in before things got too crazy um, this fall. We're closing on the property Thursday this week. We're just we're just going to be getting back into town in time uh, to close on the property. Get over there this weekend. Get some ideas together and some plans, and maybe even get uh, maybe even get some contractors in there while we're out of town to get some. Uh, some work done to get the property ready, then we've got to get ready for our uh, big trip and get out of here. That's coming pretty soon. We'll be heading to the East Coast. We're going to head over to Nashville for the NASTIC conference. Uh, that It's all happening very fast, very fast. The busy fall, that's good, though. Uh, we're here live. Looks like, uh, looks like all the technology's holding up here on the mobile setup. This is the first time testing this new mobile setup. So what keeps happening is as we change our technology working towards where we control the entire system, all the phone lines, everything, I keep changing equipment as we do this. And I have to change two whole setups. I have a the studio setup and then I have the mobile setup. And each time I change, I have to change both. So um Hopefully this one's working well. Looks like it is so far. The next big test is when we try to bring in a guest or a caller. We'll see how that works. Uh, so we should get right to it. Oh, it looks like we have a uh, we have an extra guest this morning. So hopefully the technology does hold up. Let me see, Bruce. Good morning. Apple Hub. Uh, hey, uh, good morning. <laughs> I caught you there, huh? Caught you off guard. Yeah, I was talking, I was talking to Angie. <laughs> oh, you were? Oh, I should have noticed I like that. that. Yeah, I like, I like talking to Angie. I, I should have noticed. Uh, you know, women women yeah. that understand the trucking industry are very special people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We have they a lot really of, are. Yeah. Um, I should, I can see when you're in the screening room, I should have known that. And I obviously wasn't paying attention. I was just trying to make sure all my technology was okay. working today. Did you get my message? Dr. Jane wants, um, there, listen to this. We're not on air, right? No, no, Bruce, we are on air. We're, we're live. We're, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I did my oh. open and then I came to you. I just, I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't paying attention. Um. Somebody said that when Dr. Jane's on, Bruce and Kevin talk too much and don't let her talk. So I said, okay, I'm bringing you back on. We're going to talk about why does the max mileage fuel borne catalyst work so good in gasoline? All right. So I should tell Angie to just mute um, you and I so we can't talk. Although I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably end up unmuting both of us because I wouldn't be able to take it. Um, I, I do know. 
that I'm bad at that. And, and I work on it. I really do. When I've got guests on or even when I'm t- now, when I'm talking to callers, it's different. There are a lot of times where I will interrupt a caller and make them get to a point. And I'll keep interrupting them and make them get to a point because I've done this long enough to, to know if you don't, there are some people who will just go on and on and on and on and they won't get to the question or the point. But with guests, you know, sometimes I just need to sit back. But it, it's hard sometimes. I have a lot to say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I get antsy and then I'm ready. I got to say it. Yeah. And uh, I try to I hold back. So. <laughs> I do, too. You know, I think uh, I, I, I want to say uh, one, one of the only people I know who's worse at it than I am is I was just talking to him yesterday is my son. He seems like he has three times more to say, and he's going to talk as fast as he can to get it in. So when him and I get together, it gets really hard. Wow. So, you know, I talk about I'm not a slow driver, but uh, you had me drive my 95 Dodge with the snowmobile trailer, and we were ATVing in Utah, and I slowed down five mile an hour and gained two miles a gallon driving from Utah back to Colorado, but. Yesterday, I was talking to Steve Bruner. He's 68 years old and uh, still an owner-operator. Lives in Florida now, moved from Wisconsin. And he has a 2022 579 Pete with the X-15. We took it from 500 to 600 horsepower, gained 300 foot-pound of torque. He's got um, 264 gears and a 12-speed auto shift. So he runs along at 55 miles an hour at four to five pound of boost, 950 RPM out of the X-15, and he's doing 10 miles a gallon. Wow, that's incredible. Now, he said to me yesterday, I wish when I was younger, I would have thought about slowing down and my life would have been smoother and easier. But, and again, I'm not one to preach about driving slow. So I am, but this, so I'll here's an example. Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> Every time I see 58 on my speedometer, I said, there's Kevin Rutherford's speed. I, said, I don't know if I could do this, but, uh, yeah, I could but, but I'm not dragging it. trailers anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. there, there you go. It's 10 miles of the gallon. And he said, he just, he just doesn't push his truck. Bruce, you know, I'll go back to a number that I came up with a long, long time ago. I mean, when I first started helping people with fuel mileage, I I remember where I was when it happened. Um, It was my first time to go to Landstar's BCO days. That's a big event for Landstar. They've been doing it forever. Um, I got invited to to give seminars there. Uh, And it was one of my first times. This was back in the 90s. And, you know, I was... I remember driving up to the hotel and I couldn't sleep and, you know, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and couldn't go back to sleep and I was nervous and worried. And fuel at the time um, had spiked to right around $4 a gallon, I think. It was a big deal back then. I mean, we really paid attention to it. It's all we were talking about. And I remember I came up with an idea and it's it goes along with what you just said about this owner-operator wishing he would have done it sooner. And I called it the million-dollar idea. And the, the idea was, as an owner-operator, if you were just getting started in your career and you had a 30-year career as an owner-operator, it's pretty common. I did it. I know a lot of people who have. I see people hitting that number all the time right now. And it was almost 30 years ago I came up with the idea. But it was, it was just this. 
as an owner-operator, if you could figure out a way to get one more mile per gallon, then I could help you retire with a million dollars in your retirement account. You wouldn't have to do anything different. You wouldn't have to do anything else. You wouldn't have to sacrifice anything. You could just live the way you had been living, but we would take the savings from that one mile per gallon and we would invest it in the S&P 500. And I ran through the numbers and you would end up with a million dollars in your retirement account from one mile per gallon savings. Now that was back when I was calculating from six to seven. Now we have guys getting 10. I just, Jamie Hagan with his Mac just posted 11 miles per gallon this morning. And, and that was a, a good number, not a, you wow. know. So if, if thinking yeah. that was possible when all we had to do was get seven miles to the gallon because everybody was getting six mm-hmm. for the most part. And, and you retire with the million dollars. That's right. And I got a couple other things. A fella called yesterday. He's got, he bought a new Volvo. He's at 500,000. He's used the max mileage catalyst from day one. He has had zero emission problems. So he's going to come in and let us clean the DPF and, and just check things over. So he, he said, I want to go for another million miles trouble free. I've had two people call yesterday about ping tanks and ben i'm sure he'll be calling in wants to talk about the auxiliary coolant tank on that four and a quarter b cat the cat's the easiest one to put it in because of where the ports are uh, i have a fellow with a fleet of trucks in kansas that he listens to us and he um, unfortunately has done a lot of deletes in the past and he has given up on the deletes and he just bought a Cascadia with a used, slightly used of DD16, and uh, he's running that on a catalyst. He said, I did run it on my older trucks, and I know the engines were smoother and quieter, and everybody liked it. He said, I just got away from it, but I'm getting back on it now. And we had a nice talk about different things. But this was a Canadian truck, 2015 Cascadia. DD16, 18 speed with 370 gears and low pro 22.5. Whoa. Yeah. So he's going to put 308s in it. There is a driver on it. He's going to put the 308s in it, and we're going to bring him down right now from 1500. We're going to take him down to 1250 with that gear change. There you go. Hey, Bruce, turns out you were right this morning. Um, technically, we weren't on the air. We should have been, except I, for, oh. I I forgot I have to change one tiny little setting in the background when I do this mobile, and I forgot to change it. So we were talking and we were being recorded, so it's all there on the recording, but nobody was hearing it. Now we're live. Oh, okay. So we had talked about uh, women that are involved in trucking and have their heart in it. They're very unique and special people, and they're, they're a lot of fun to be around. But I'm... Did I ever tell you the story when I was working the RV circuit and I was in Barium Springs, Michigan, and I was working on a motorhome, and after I was finished with it, it wouldn't start? No, I don't remember that one. And and it was Memorial Day weekend, and these people were leaving the next week to go up, and I think they were going on a caravan to Alaska. And here we are, and we're under this coach, and it won't start. <laughs> so 
Who, who's the company that makes the chassis oh, for a lot of the motorhomes? Spartan. In 20 years. Spartan. It was me, a Spartan engineer, and the owner. And the owner was recently remarried to this beautiful lady. And I was out buying solenoids, finding auto parts stores open. The Spartan engineer said, and this, this was a... This wasn't a coach like yours. This was more of an entry-level coach. And he said, there's 100 miles of wiring in here, and we couldn't find out why this thing wouldn't run. And I'm looking like a fool, right? <laughs> I'm the only one that was working on this. <laughs> right. And now their motorhome wouldn't start. Oh, man. And it's about 10 o'clock at night. It's dark. We're under there with lights. There must have been 30 people around the outside of this coach. I was afraid to look out. And finally, his wife stuck her head under and she said, honey, may I ask you a question? And I thought, oh, lady, this yeah. is not the time to ask a question. And he said, sure, what is it? I was shocked. She said, you always told me the jack stands had to be up before the coach would start. Oh. oh. We were underneath. The jack stands were down. And fortunately, in their travels, he, he had told talked her. to his wife and yep. said, Jack Stan's have to be up. So the engineer from Spartan and his and the owner, their eyes met and they rolled, I thought. And I'm laying there, you got to be kidding me because I'm the one who looked like the ass. Right. And you wouldn't he necessarily out. know that, right? No, I wouldn't necessarily. Right. No, that, all coaches are different, exactly. right? Exactly. So we all rolled out. He put the jack stands up, hit the key, and it started. Oh. I lost six hours, oh. plus <laughs> totally being embarrassed. And I was going to write an article for the magazines and call it The Power of a Woman. And sometimes we just have to listen to what the women in our lives are telling us, especially if they're involved. You know? Absolutely. And you know what? I have to be careful. Right, like, of you. Like, you get in that mode, and I know you were in that mode underneath that coach, and when somebody, whether it's a woman or anybody, says something like that, sometimes you almost just want to go off. Like, I've thought of all, and sometimes you got to stop yourself and think, no, maybe you haven't right. thought of everything. You should listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's right. So, so look at the women in your in in, in yours and Angie and Jackie Wormley, and then we have Jane Gates. These women have changed this industry. Absolutely, they, they were part of changing this industry. So, absolutely, you can't underestimate that. I agree. All right. So, how do Lisa, we look? What Lisa? Look what Lisa's done for you. I mean, Lisa runs this whole company. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, and it that allows me to do more of what I do because I, I don't run the company at all. I spend, I don't spend two minutes running the company. I spend all my time on what I do and researching and testing and reading and working with people and coming up with ideas. And I have the luxury of being able to do that just about full time because we have such a great team and, and Lisa really does. Mm -hmm. Her hands are on everything in the company. She's about the only one that knows everything that's going on. There's a ton of stuff. I, I don't have a clue what goes on half the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that's that way because that's how Debbie kind of runs my life. And, uh, I were like, we're, we were doing a lot of truck shows, uh, Debbie and Pete would organize them and 
I'd say, just tell me when we're leaving and are we driving or flying? That's, that's the two things I need to know. Are we driving or flying and when are we leaving? And uh, that's all I needed. I yeah. knew where we were going, right? Whether it was Dallas, Louisville, Iowa, 80. But, uh, I, um, and yeah. I, I get so focused on whatever it is that I'm doing that I forget everything around me. I have no situational awareness. I don't, I can't, even if I have a list of exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, I probably still won't do it because I won't take the time to read the list. I'll get so wrapped up. And this morning's a great example. I got up in plenty of time to get my equipment set up. We really didn't have time yesterday traveling. So I got up in plenty of time this morning, got it all set up, looked at it like I'm good and forgot to just go through a simple checklist. So I forgot two things this morning. I screwed up two things just because I get yeah. I was so focused on what I'm going to do when I open the show that I just don't pay attention to the other details. Next time you're here, you have to say to Pete, let me see your list. Pete has a whole list that he checks off to and, get everything ready for the shows. <laughs> it's impressive. And, and, that, and, uh, I, I, and my I, hat was off there the first time I saw that. And I need that, and I should do it, and I have a list. But then I'll get busy, and I just forget to go through the list. And as soon as the show starts, I think, what am I thinking? Why didn't I do this and this and this? But yeah. that's... Do you, do you know why they put blinders on horses? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to keep, but but that's you kind of I what I have. Blinders to keep us focused straight ahead. Well, that's kind yeah. of my problem. It's why I need so much help. I've gotten good at not getting distracted like I used to, so I stay very focused on what I'm doing. But then, if I'm not focused on the right stuff, like I should have at least focused a little bit on the list this morning, and I didn't. Um, I figured I had this done it before but it's a it's another new setup again so how do we want to do this do yeah. we want to bring in pete and leroy do we want to bring in dr jane yeah first? let's bring in pete leroy okay. and then jane got it we'll do all right oh hey i want to say something i i gotta go. tell you something all right go ahead we have these little 16 ounce bottles and uh, it's more for the people with pickup trucks and cars and stuff like that and you know, it's just like the stable bottle. You squeeze it and it fills up the one ounce and then yeah. you put the other lid on the other side and you pour it in. Well, we now, as of yesterday, have a syringe with a long snout on it. It's called a catheter syringe. How about that? Oh, boy. It says discard after use, but we don't have to discard after use for catalysts. <laughs> you, you squeeze the bottle, you can put the syringe right down inside and it holds 20 milliliters and a milliliter is the same as a CC. So it holds 20 CCs, which is not one ounce. But if you're putting it in gasoline in your lawnmower or Harley Davidson, you want five gallon or five CCs. It's big. It's easy to read. And, and uh, so we have those now. There was a guy and he has a I won't say that story. Let's let's continue. <laughs> well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a quick story because I have to tell the story now. Because how many opportunities do you get in life to tell a catheter syringe story? I have one. You, you don't only get, when you're dealing with the Max Miley's catalyst. Yeah, you, you don't. So I'm gonna take an opportunity. I'll give you the short version. It was after my motorcycle crash, way way back when, when I was in the army. Um, a catheter syringe, they fill it up with some kind of a liquid. 
um, and they inject it into your bladder through, this is when you have a catheter and after surgery, um, and anybody who's had one knows what we're talking about here. Um, so I'm going to get the catheter out, and it's been in for almost a month, the whole time I was in the hospital. So they put the dye up there to make sure everything's okay before they take it out. So they use this syringe, they inject the dye, and you're on the x-ray table, and then they take an x-ray, and they check to see that everything's all right. Well, I'm laying there on the table, and the technician laid that catheter syringe, which is still attached to the catheter, which is still attached to me, on my thigh as I was laying there on the table. And I wasn't thinking about it. And at, at some point I must have moved. The catheter falls off my thigh and falls off the table and doesn't make it all the way to the ground because what it's tied to isn't long enough so it jerks before it hits the ground. That did not feel good. Yeah. I'm laying there on the table screaming as this thing is dangling and bouncing and the technician runs out and yeah, it was, it was no fun. Did you have the catheter that had barbs on it? Yes. Or the balloon. I'm not sure which one. It might've been the balloon. Some of them they put in there and they inflate the end of it, but either way, it's not coming out. That's the whole point. It's not ready to come out. They have to do something first, but yeah, that didn't feel good. A friend of mine was telling me a story similar. He was the civil engineer that built the Bay Bridge on Route 50 that crosses from Annapolis to the eastern shore, Maryland. And he was telling me he was in Grand Junction in the hospital, and they pulled that catheter, a catheter out. He thought he was going to die. No, it, had, it's... <laughs> it had the ribs on it to hold it in. <laughs> but anyway, hey, speaking of the eastern shore of Maryland. Yes. Uh, a fella calls me. His name's Rob. He works for LKQ in Easton, Maryland. Called me about a month ago. He said, you don't really know me, but uh, I know about your Max Mileage Catalyst, and I've been referring it to a lot of our customers who are having problems, and this is a wonder juice. Man, this thing, this stuff fixes everything. <laughs> and they became a dealer today. Really? Oh, good. As, as of this morning, yep. LKQs, they have 17 locations. This is the first they're going to have it there. Excellent. All right. Um, Bruce, I know how you and I are. We we, we could go on all day, but we're going to bring in uh, Pete and Leroy to save us here. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Kevin. You you guys got to jump in here so we don't keep telling catheter stories. Yeah, I had a zone out when you started talking about that. <laughs> uh, a little soft when it comes to things like that. I, yeah. I don't want to hear about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. No. All right. So, what's on your mind this morning? So, it's going to um, let everyone know we got the winter blend already bottled up. I know it's a little early yet, but there's been snow in the mountains already out west. So, you know, cold weather will be here before we know it. So that the winter one ready and bottled, people that want it. And we're also going to um, bottle our own anti-gel. So if you don't want to run the catalyst or don't need the winter blend all the time, we're going to have our own anti-gel. And it'll be good to 25 below. Um, it'll add four points of um, cetane and add fibricity as well. It's going to be sold in a 16-ounce bottle which will treat up to 200 gallons of uh, diesel fuel. And we should have that in about a month. Excellent. All right. That's exciting. That. It gives people two options. I mean, if you're not running, if you're running in a cold climate most of the winter, then it would make sense to run the winter blend catalyst. Right. Because you can kill two birds with one stone. 
Yep. Um, but if you're not and you're down south, up north, and if you're going up down south and then going up north, you definitely need to have some anti-gel with you. I like it. Good stuff. So that's the new thing that's going on for us right now. All right. Well, along with our, that's new along with our catheter syringe. That's right. So two new things. Two new things today. What's your name? How about a, a uh, the long nose sucker? Yeah. <laughs> Anything would be better than catheter. I got to draw it all here. Yeah, I'd rather not keep hearing catheter because it's those are not no. good memories. All right. No, I'm sure not. All right. Anything else on your mind this week, Pete? That is it for me today. All right. Leroy, good morning. Good morning. So, uh, before I mean, you, I'm be- really Before interested. you get started, I have the same question I had last week. Clock's ticking. You're not, oh, not going to make it. me drive this 800-horsepower beast across the country again, are you? Yeah, I patched that over to Eric. I think um, I'll make sure it gets done, you Kevin. Okay, thanks. It'll, it'll go on Pete's list. When you, want some, when you want something <laughs> done here, Kevin, when you need something done, you talk to Pete. I know. He is the man Cause, there. Because Pete makes notes, and he doesn't forget he is the furthest thing from ADD like me. <laughs> me. I know. All right. <laughs> Thanks. All right, Leroy, what's on your mind? Well, I have another question for you then. Okay. Did you ever try that, uh, that software thing I sent you, that simulator? No. <laughs> what? How does that no. solve my problem? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> what's that? How does that solve my problem? I was problem? just curious. Oh, you- no, I'd like to. It's just, it's, it is a little busy around here. And I have ADD, so I'll forget about it until you remind me again next time. I, I understand how that is. Yeah. I completely understand. I can see you've got busy some of ADD. that too, don't you? <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> I can tell. Do you, do you, Leroy? Do you have it? I knew he did. Oh, I don't know. I get, uh, I, I get fixated on things and I go down rabbit holes. And then, yeah, I think that's the definition of ADD. So. Creative people habit. It, but the problem was back when you were in school in the 50s and 60s, nobody knew about it. Maybe it's a good thing because they'd have tried to fill us with drugs like Ritalin. Absolutely. Here, here's the thing. A, ADD, ADHD is not a disease. It's not a malfunction. It is completely normal. It's just the way some people think. And they tend to be, if, if you notice, they tend to be very creative thinkers. They usually tend to be pretty intelligent. The problem is they just don't fit into our system the way our system wants to teach people. And they try to make us adapt to the way they teach when they should be adapting to us. It would be far better if we learned how to teach people that are like this. And it's not sitting in a classroom for hours and hours at a time trying to memorize stuff. You know, most of the creative engineers that actually make things happen are all ADD people. I, I believe it. it it's not and, a malfunction at and, all. I think it's a it's no. a it's a feature, not a bug. Right. I just um, became friends with a retired caterpillar mechanical engineer, and uh, he's on a board of directors of a place that I go to and he wants to get off. I said, don't you dare. I said, you're the creative one. Yeah. You're the one that makes things happen. 
Yeah, these these other people, their degrees are in accounting and different things, and you know, they talk a good story, but they don't really get things done. I said, right. don't you dare get off that burden. Yeah. So. See, hey, Leroy, I, I, I brought that down to your language. It's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, I don't know. If you call home and ask my wife, I don't think she'd say it's a feature. <laughs> yeah, I know. Nobody <laughs> understands, but it is. I'll have to tell her that. Yeah. She says. Yeah, see what she says. And tell her she can call me and what argue with me about? if she doesn't agree. Uh, now I can't remember. All right, so we we're talking about we have to get Kevin. He wants to be a remote tune dealer. Yes. <laughs> and, and Leroy, you forgot to send him the kit, so Pete will take care of it. <laughs> <Okay>. Father Pete. <laughs> That's right. That's what we should call Pete, or Father Pete, because he like looks out after all of us here. He looks out after everybody. He's he takes, like the father. He takes care of the flock. Yeah, that's right. All right. Leroy, go back to— you, you know, and you, you, have to, you have to have people of all different sorts like that, and uh, you have to have the Pete's in this world. I agree. All right, Leroy, try to pick up where you left off. I'm uh, struggling. My ADD is kicking back in. Um, <laughs> I think I'm mostly just excited to hear uh, uh, what Jane has to say. I'm kind of curious about um I guess my question for her when she comes on would be about the, uh, I always hear that it's a sort of an anti-knock sort of thing. So I was wondering how many points of uh, octane does it add? Um, that would be my question. But yeah, I'm just kind of excited to hear what she has to say. Anti-knock. I, I uh, wait. Is my brain working right? Isn't it the opposite? Or no? Wait. I, octane I decreases I, pinging. Yeah, but doesn't it do yeah. it because but it octane slows also down makes the burn? A, octane slows down the burn. So right. eighty-seven octane burns faster than ninety-one and ninety-three, which is what causes the but, knock because it's pre-ignition. It's igniting before it's supposed to. So on this 2011 CVO Ultra Harley-Davidson with the 110 engine used to wrap like hell at 2,800 RPM, the catalyst took out about 75% of it. And then I put in 89 or 90 non-ethanol gasoline. That's about five miles from here. And the knock is completely gone. I lowered the octane and I put the catalyst in. And the knock is gone. Hmm. Yeah, I want to and hear it'll that. Pull from a thousand I want to hear that explanation because it almost yeah. sounds the opposite to me, but I'm sure there's a reason here. Uh-huh. Um, so that'll be interesting. <laughs> Bruce, I can remember back in high school when, you know, we were building those engines and um, there was just one gas station and it was not near me. It was like 30, 40 minutes away. But I would make the trip because they used to, for a long time they were still selling like ninety three or ninety four octane. Mm-hmm. We used to but go look for the high octane gas. No, I didn't know. I didn't really understand. I knew it was that the pre ignition thing and it slowed down the burn. And but you know I didn't really understand. Um, so now I am looking forward to hearing that as well. So since uh, we're all wondering what Dr. Jane has to say this morning, we should bring her in and wish her a good morning. Good morning, Dr. Jane. Well, good morning, Kevin. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. Do you suffer from any of these symptoms of ADHD like some of us? 
Um, oh, I have a, yeah, I got a slew of bad genes. It, it's, um, yeah, we don't want to talk about that, though. <laughs> <laughs> See, they, they make it sound like we're the problem, but I think the system is the problem. It's not us. I get it. I know. Yeah, I had a, a very kind manager. He said to me once, he goes, people like you are a real challenge to manage. He goes, you're, you know, you're a gift to the organization, but man, can you ever find ways to rock the boat? Exactly. <laughs> I know. So he was very, he was very diplomatic about it. <laughs> See, now I'm learning. Jane, I thought I knew you well, but I'm learning some more things about you now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. Um, But I'm not going to... Hey, Jane? An example would be... Yeah. Real Mm -hmm. quick, I don't want to interrupt, but are you on some kind of a headset or a speakerphone? Oh, tell me how I'm going through. I'm just sitting here in front of my uh, laptop with the... um, the smartphone at an angle resting on the table. Do it's, I need to make a change? That it's a better now. It it was a little. It was getting muffled. Like it was wasn't real clear. So you might want to stay closer to the phone or keep it. You know, kind of pointed towards you because it did get better just now. Okay, as long I'll kind That's of maintain better. this distance. That's good, right there. Distance. Yes. Okay. Thanks, thanks for the feedback. Very good. All right, go ahead. Yeah, um, I'd love. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's always good to dig into a refresher topic such as fuel chemistry. And um, Bruce, um, Bruce has been telling an anecdote that was, um, in his mind, you know, I guess I gave him the impression at some point that I didn't have any prior experience using the catalyst in gasoline. But contrary to that, that's actually where I started back in 2007, 2008, was using the catalyst in passenger cars, gasoline engines. Um, And if you recall, that was at a time when gas prices were going up by 5 to 10 cents a day and uh, all kinds of fuel savings products, gimmicks, bolt-ons, additives were coming out of the woodwork on the aftermarket side. And um, so that's what I found out about the Catalyst was through a business networking meeting in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, and at that time, it was just the raw, unadulterated active ingredient compressed into a little pill that you dropped into your gasoline tank every time you filled up. So there's a lot of guesswork involved, you know, a pill, how much does that dose, how accurate is it going to be? So, the, you know, the field, the variation of re- results coming back from the field um, were not as consistent as we'd like. And the people um, who were putting up this product um, were not, they were just interested in easy, fast money. They weren't interested in doing any studies that required capital layout from them or expense layouts from them to do the science properly. But long story short, they brought me in as a, a as a director for their operations. And so that's when I started learning a lot about the fundamentals of this chemistry. And, you know, here, and here we are with Bruce and we've got a, a liquid formula that's uh, formulated in a way that ensures it's going to work every time because the guesswork out of it produces consistent results, both from the first tank to the nth tank. It, there's no um, downside to long-term use, which is fantastic. And uh, Bruce confidently markets it to his client base, which is, you know, absolutely 
um, you know, it just doesn't get any better than having a trusted person with a long-term history and relationships to the depth and breadth of Bruce's out there um, endorsing your product. So we're a proud manufacturer of the Max Mileage, Max Mileage Fuel Born Catalyst, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here on the show. So what do you want me to talk about next? Why does it work so well in gasoline? Okay. Well, okay. gasoline is um, just fundamentally, and there's not going to be any quiz at the end, but just starting from the basics. Remember, all of these distillate fuels come from distilling off volatiles, volatile hydrocarbons from crude oil that's pumped out of the ground or fracked or whatever. And so the range, so the, the lighter the, the range of compounds in boiling point, um, the, the earlier they come off the distil, up the distillation column, get cooled and condensed, and then, and then quote-unquote boil over as a, um, a distillate fraction. So those fractions, um, the temperature range for boiling off, let me get this up here. The temperature range for, the first thing that comes off when you start boiling a pot of crude oil is butane. And, and that's at less than 85 degrees Fahrenheit. So the stuff that's in the butane later, lighter or your, um, your outdoor grill, that's what comes off first. Next is, is gasoline. And, and the range for boiling off gasoline um, compounds or the compounds that go into making gasoline is from 85 degrees to 185 degrees. So from 85 to 185 degrees Fahrenheit, that's a 100 degree range where we're going to be getting a, a, a mixed bag of compounds that all come up the distillation column and boil off boil over, condense over um, in that range. Then after that, the temperature goes up in the boiling pot below, and the next uh, group of compounds to come off is, is generally referred to as naphtha. Um, that goes up to 350 degrees Fahrenheit from 185, where we left off for gasoline. And then the next group after that, from 350 to 450 degrees Fahrenheit, is kerosene and jet fuel, so slightly heavier than... than um, higher boiling points, heavier, bigger molecules of hydrocarbons. And then finally, after that, from 450 degrees up to 650 degrees, a 200 degrees Fahrenheit range is where we're getting distilled diesel and home heating oil. Uh, so uh, that's a 200 degree range of boiling um, distillation temperatures. You're going to be getting a lot of different compounds uh, it's not it's not a pure substance by any stretch of the imagination. So um, <clears throat> back to gasoline, you can see that it's highly volatile, coming off at such low temperatures relative to diesel. And what happens in the gasoline engine is under compression, those very volatile <clears throat> compounds want to auto ignite, but we don't want them to auto ignite until the spark the spark plug fires and um, to produce controlled ignition. So we don't want uncontrolled ignition. We want everything to stay quiet with respect to auto ignition until the spark plug fires and the engine timing is such that you can take advantage of the heat release. Does that make sense? But 
But inherently, these lightweight compounds, they want to pressure ignite. They want to auto-ignite. And so the, C, the um, octane number represents their resistance to auto-ignition. And so the higher the octane number, the greater the resistance to auto-ignite, and uh, which is what we don't want. And auto-ignition is referred to as pre-ignition in some cases. It's pinging. It's knocking. It's just very, very undesirable because it's jarring the piston when it's in a point in its range of travel that it, you're not going to get uh, translation of the force to the drivetrain. So um, that's kind of the, the deal with uh, Octane, and it's a lab test. They calculate it based on two lab tests, the research Octane number, R-O-N, and the motor Octane number, M-O-N, they add those together, divide by two, and that's what gives you the, the octane number. So uh, a non, the index is just a range, but the actual number is calculated from two lab measurements for the gasoline engine, uh, a lab setup. Uh, so the higher the octane number, the greater resistance to auto-ignite in a gasoline engine. What does the catalyst do? Well, um, it's going to make everything burn faster once it's is ignited. So um, the best way for me to kind of look at this, well, I guess I should stop and, and let, you, let you ask questions uh, right now before going. No, through. no, 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 no. You, you've got it. You're, when you're right to the point where we want to know what does the catalyst do to the gasoline. So we understand the octane. Um, okay. So continue. So, yeah. So remember, we're talking about a range of compounds that are a mixture of gasoline molecules that are in that distillation range of 100 degrees. Again, it's not by any means a pure substance. And and what what the catalyst does is it causes all of the um, all of the molecules of gasoline to burn faster once they are ignited. And and, and so you know it's like. I guess you could throw in an octane improver just like for gasoline, just so you can throw, just as you can throw in a cetane improver for, for diesel. You can buy these bottled additives, you can put them in, but it's like putting icing on such, on, on a not very good cake. Um, I mean, yeah, you might feel better because you, you can say to yourself, I'm putting something in that's going to improve the octane number of my gasoline, or I'm putting in a cetane improver that's going to boost the cetane number of my diesel. It's icing on cake, and the question is just how good is that cake? How good is the fuel that you're adding it to? What What's the source of crude? What is the quality standards of the refinery that it was produced at? How long has it been sitting around? Has it been contaminated by water, moisture, et cetera, while it's been set, sitting around? Um, and so what the catalyst does, it improves the cake. It actually makes the cake burn better, <laughs> whether it's, you know, fresh fuel, old fuel, contaminated fuel, light fuel, heavy fuel, whether it's kerosene, diesel, naphtha, gasoline, it doesn't matter. It just makes all fuel burn to greater completion in a shorter amount of time because of the catalytic effect. So I'm done. I can tell you, people that are sensitive to an engine, to a car, mm -hmm. a motorcycle, a snowmobile, a semi-truck. On a boat, you're pushing on a throttle, but you push less on the throttle when the catalyst is there. They notice the difference. 
there are there is a whole group of people that aren't sensitive to a vehicle and they don't really notice it but for those of us that are sensitive to the feel you can tell it's in there and you just push yeah. you just push less on that pedal and the vehicle is just accelerating more free Right. Um, I'll tell you, Bruce, when I first started using it back in the late 2000s, I was still working as, you know, I still had income for 17 years as an engineer working for really well-known companies um, in R&D. So uh, I was compensated pretty darn well. And I I didn't have any kids. And um, I liked liked the European um, fast sedans, uh, you know, and... It was just fun. And so I had a Mercedes C230 for a while. I had an Audi A4 Quattro for a while. I, I had uh, other customers who, who had the, the European sports car models. And whenever they tried it, they just loved it. You know, I just got great response out of those engines. And it's because um, the European engine models tend to be have a higher compression ratio. Is that can what do you have to say about that, Leroy, compared to domestic engines for gasoline? And, um, and so I'll let Leroy comment about that. But the higher compression ratio engines responded better to the catalyst because in terms of, in chemistry terms, um, pressure is heat and the catalyst is activated by both pressure and temperature. So it, it accelerates the activation of the catalyst. It makes it work better in um, doing its job and and aiding the combustion reaction and producing more horsepower and torque. And, um, and so that was one definite effect of um, using the catalyst that I noticed right away in, in gasoline engines. I had other customers who would have like Toyota, um, Toyota passenger cars, whatever the, you know, the common type was at that time. I'm trying to remember what it was, but the Toyotas, they were really, really reliable car, just workhorses for commuters and that sort of thing. And they took, they would take their Toyotas in for an oil change and, and get feedback from the mechanics that the oil was, the engine oil was really pretty darn clean. So the same effect that we see in diesel engines in terms of keeping the oil um, cleaner, keeping the soot out of the crankcase, also um, anecdotally was worn out with use of the catalyst in gasoline-powered passenger vehicles. So a lot of people around the time that Volkswagen um, sort of lost their engineering minds and started manipulating the uh, after-exhaust treatment systems in their Jettas, the passenger Jettas, um, I had a lot of people say, well, I don't really want, then they instituted their buyback program People calling me, I don't really want to give up my my uh, diesel, my TDI. I like my TDI. I don't want to give it back to Volkswagen and get a different a gasoline vehicle. And uh, so, my point is, passenger vehicles and light trucks, but mostly in the gasoline type, is where I got my start. And um, so, lots and lots of experience. But it's been it's been a long time. I mean, that was it's twenty 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 three. It was almost. 14, 15 years ago. So I'm, tr- I'm pulling on some old memories here. But anecdotally, it just uh, it worked really, really well. The problem was operationally, the company that started this, this the product way back when, 
did not have the fundamentals worked out, and now we do. And so, you know, it's a really low risk um, proposition to just add one ounce of max mileage fuel-borne catalyst to 25 gallons of diesel or one ounce of max mileage fuel-borne catalyst to 30 gallons of gasoline, which is equivalent to one cc per gallon, which makes it very, very easy to do the math. And, uh, and away you go. I mean, you're improving. It's uh, you're not taking your chances by adding too much or too little of a, an octane improver or a sequin booster. It's just you know you put this in and you're done. It's it's really 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 straightforward and extremely consistent in, in improving the operational performance and the fuel mileage of gasoline vehicles. Um, so Jane, I've that's got my a, spiel. I've got a business and, lesson from that. Yeah. So okay. you know in, in business, do. yeah. Okay. In business, I, I really have studied business my whole life. I love reading, like, um, you know, autobiographies of CEOs and founders. And one of the patterns I've noticed in business, a, a lot of companies and a lot of people are really trying to find that new thing, that breakthrough. They want to be the first one. Everybody thinks, boy, if you're the first one that comes up with that idea, you're going to make it. That's almost never the case. If you really study business, the first person out with mm -hmm. like a new idea, a new product, something that might be revolutionary, many times they're not the ones that succeed with it. And, and here's another case of that. Mm -hmm. Somebody had already made the mm -hmm. big discovery here of what was working. They just didn't bring it to market properly. They, they, they didn't refine it enough. They didn't test enough. They really didn't think it through. And I think a lot of times the, the thought process is, hey, we're first. We've got the idea. We're, we're going to win with this. Many times they don't. Somebody else comes along and says, hey, you know, that's a great idea, but why didn't they do it this way? Or why didn't they do this and that? And many times it's the second or third or fourth company that picks up an idea or a new product or a service that succeeds with it. Well, I tell you, Kevin, you're so right, um, and that I can intertwine back into the next phase of the journey, which was uh, going same basic technology, same basic catalyst technology, um, that's approved by the U.S. EPA. And when this company's focus, the next intermediate company um, that I was working with, their focus was uh, diesel, the diesel market, which makes sense because you are you are selling larger quantities of fuel per vehicle when you get into the occupational vehicle segment. Um, no surprises there. But they didn't really want to waste their time with the individual owner-operator uh, uh, market right. segment. I yeah, can tell you why. They kept going for... Yeah, uh, yeah go ahead. Tell me. It, it mm -hmm. was actually probably a smart move on there. You know, this whole diesel market, everything about trucking is just a weird market. If, you know, a lot of companies want to go to the fleets with an idea because it seems like the smart thing to do. Go talk to a couple of people that control a thousand trucks rather than talking to one person at a time that only buys or controls for one truck. I mean, it seems like a good business move. What I've found over the years, these fleets could care less about most of this stuff. They don't really pay much attention to fuel mileage. They don't really try to lower maintenance cost with, with any kind of real strategies. They just kind of plow through and it, it, 
I've, I've talked with so many companies over the years that want me to help them get into fleets with something like this. And I'll say, look, I, I tried that approach 30 years ago, and I'm not going back to it. It was a nightmare. All these fleets ever want is you to provide a bunch of products for free for them to test. And then they don't test right, no matter how many times you try to help them with the testing. And then at the end, nothing ever happens. I said, I've been through this so many times. But then the problem comes in, okay, the owner-operator market is a great place to focus on this kind of stuff, but how do you reach them? That's the biggest challenge. And that's why Mm -hmm. companies come to us. We're one of the few companies that have access to that market and we've built trust over the years. But that that's the biggest challenge. They want to go to the fleets because it seems like the smart thing. And they can't figure out how to reach the owner-operators. Right. I, I mean, you're exactly right. I have two comments. One, you know, my feeling is that the fleets, they're, they're working op- operating principle is to maintain the status quo. Uh, they're not yep. very... It takes a lot. It takes a lot for them to shift towards innovative actions, um, much less implement them across the board. But the other, the other comment is uh, that I, as a as a manufacturer's rep for this company that was trying to sell into large diesel dependent operations such as mining and energy, oil field services, um, they um, they were not. Uh, they weren't doing a great job with marketing because they were relying on personal connections with uh, C-level types who right. worked for these companies. Be that good, be that as it may, um, I've, I've made the decision to focus on the small owner-operator parking segment, or not small, but the yep, um, yeah, small right. operations. Yeah. And, right, and, and I realized that to reach them, I needed to to develop a website, and um, so they could find me and and my product. And the, I launched the website, paying for the development of it and maintenance of it myself in January of 2013. So almost 10 years ago, well, exactly 10 years ago. And, and, I, and then I also started paying for advertising of the type that Bruce and Pittsburgh Power does continues to do this day in those targeted um, print print magazines with ads and um and i started getting phone calls and i started getting business and and in 2017 four years later i just looked at um my 1099 statement for that year oh, you did so badly, Kevin. you know it was <laughs> four, three four years into it i was making a living selling fuel borne catalysts to my trucker customers and um and i'm good you know so then we developed our own products um, around the same time and then the other big advantage of me dealing with the owner operators was the feedback i was yes. getting from and the relationships i was building with them so i was getting really great insight into the previous manufacturer's product what worked what didn't work and that's what I was able to leverage when I reformulated Max Mileage. Um, and once we started testing it, we were very, very cautious and very systematic in, in testing it. So we knew what we were going to be selling. And my company sold it independently before for a year plus before we even rolled it out to Bruce. So, um, and then he took his time doing his own testing and getting feedback from his trusted 
uh, group of drivers for another year. And of course, we did the di- the rolling dynamometer testing, which is a hundred percent objective. There's you know the numbers simply don't lie. And with uh, Bruce's great staff to support that testing at the time, I mean, I was in hog heaven as a chemist and a numbers person um, from my engineering background in industry. I was just eating this stuff up with a spoon. It was the I was up as happy as a pig in mud, and um, and I still am. I mean, it's just I couldn't wait for Mondays to roll around. I, and I was sad when five o'clock every Friday rolled around. I, was, I just wanted to keep working. It was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so, what when I when we first looked at it a year after we tested it. Our only concern was, can we make the emission-equipped engines trouble-free? And that was our main goal. Can we help the owner-operators to keep them from having to do deletes? And that it did. And so that that was our main thing. We, we had no idea it would work in non-emission trucks, and my gosh, it does. Um, Mark Dinsledge has a 2WS cat reman engine in his feet. And he sent me a message on Sunday. He said, oh, I left the house and I forgot my catalyst and I had to fill my truck up. And I think it's noisier and running rough, but I don't know if it's the, uh, what's that effect? Placebo effect. Yes. And I typed back, no, I, I think you're, what you're feeling is right. So then... Uh, I get a message from him yesterday afternoon said, I'm 900 miles into this trip without the catalyst, and I can really notice a difference. The engine is not as smooth, not as responsive, and it's louder. And there you go. And that engine has absolutely no emissions to it. And then we, one time we had an N14 in here, you know, they just do not like today's diesel fuel. You have to think about that 2002 and older engines were not designed for ultra-low sulfur fuel. And that ultra-low sulfur fuel hit us in the late 90s. And so if you can't buy good fuel, you have to make it yourself. And you have to be willing to put and take the time to put the necessary chemicals in to make your fuel better. And this N14 was in our shop, and we took an estimate on how much fuel was in the tanks, and we put the max mileage catalyst in it. We stirred it, took it for a ride to Butler and back, 16 miles. The mist was gone. Uh, so look at that. Nice. Yeah, and there's just one anecdote, one positive story after another coming in. And, you know, after a while, you're... Um, and gee, um, as I recall, Kevin, you used to be quite the skeptic when it came to quote unquote auditors. But um, I, of course, I'm just so many things. I may have I may have been the biggest skeptic of all, and most of it was because of my experience over the years of doing lots and lots of fuel mileage testing on products that guaranteed yes. better fuel mileage, and that was my big thing was. I never found a product that really improved fuel mileage. I found some products that brought the truck back to where it should have been, maybe some injector cleaners and some other things that would, but, but I did enough testing to know that didn't improve anything. It just brought a truck back that Mm -hmm. needed a little help. 
because I'd used the same product on a truck that didn't need that help and there were no results. So it, it wasn't really improving the fuel economy. So I was skeptical. And I said, look, you know, an injector cleaner now and then, some winter, you know, conditioners, that, that's fine. But if you think you're going to put something in your fuel tank every time you fuel and it's going to save you money, I haven't found a single product in 20-some years of testing them that does that. So I was skeptical. And I waited a year. Bruce, you remember the first year we were talking about this? I almost never commented on it. I, I just sit back and watch yeah. and waited, and I said, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll let people call in with their results. We'll watch fuel gauges. And after about a year, I said, well, you know what? I can't deny it anymore. This, this works. Um, and well, I, I don't know that it works to improve fuel economy on a truck that is perfect, doesn't need any help, but that's not the point of this. The point of this, we have an awful lot of trucks that need help. And, and it works. So, but it, it took me a while to get on board. Well, the point of this is it eliminates emission-related yes. problems. Yeah. That, Keeps that the is engine it. clean. Yep. And if you, many owner-operators were called into the shop, whether the mechanic had the EGR valve off or the EGR tube or the exhaust pipe on an older truck after the turbo, and said, we, there's, there's something strange here. There's no soot inside here. Now we're even getting, people are getting their overhead set and they've been running the catalyst for four and five years. The mechanic is saying, your engine is spotless inside, even up in the valve assembly. Yeah. So, Kevin, you were even skeptical of turbo boost gauges when I introduced you to that. <laughs> I, I, I was, yeah. I'm pretty skeptical about everything. I mean, that, that's just, it, yep. my favorite question is why. So when, when you say, boy, you got, you got to understand this, you got to drive by the boost gauge, my question was why. Explain it to me and then maybe I'll be on board. And after you did, it made sense. And uh, I was on board. But I, but I need to know why. I, I, yeah. I believe almost nothing people tell me until they can explain why. Well, yeah, yeah, we... Sorry, Bruce. I wanted to um, comment on Kevin's sophisticated testing methodology. I mean, he was doing as close to a controlled uh, fleet test as uh, anybody I'm out there that I know of. Uh, and he was, he had a lot of skin in the game because, you know, it's not, not uh, cheap to take time off of a, a, a truck that's making money on a per hour basis and, and run it in a controlled fashion to, to evaluate a fuel savings, um, product. And, and so Kevin had a great methodology by running consistent routes with the same make and model and year of trucks, multiples, and he was doing the, statistically based on uh, measurements the right way. And so, so he had a lot, uh, he was doing a lot of things right and very much validated his position of skepticism when it came to those spurious claims of, of a guaranteed fuel um, economy improvement if you well, use our product. If you pay $60 for <laughs> one gallon of this um yeah, uh, Jane, you've been paying attention. I, I can tell you've been paying attention. So I, I did. I had, a, I had a great operation to be able to test this. I had dedicated runs. I had virtually zero turnover of drivers. So it wasn't like we were dealing with different drivers. It was the same driver every time. 
Um, our runs were so dedicated, they left within 15 minutes of, you know, their start times virtually every day. And then at one point, I was able mm-hmm. to get my operation to where I had three trucks running the exact same route all within 30 minutes of each other every day. So I was even able to take, Mm -hmm. I could use all three trucks to test and I would test two and use one as the control. I wouldn't test that truck. I wouldn't change anything. And occasionally over all the years of testing all these different things, occasionally we would make the change to the two trucks. We would see a fuel mileage increase And I would say, well, it's not valid because the control truck also saw fuel mileage increase. So then you have to chalk it up Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. something else changed. Maybe the weights on our trailers changed enough. It was seasonal. We weren't quite as heavy for a while. The weather changes and that affects things. So occasionally we would see an increase, but there was you couldn't explain it by the product because the control truck got the increase. So you just have to say, we didn't see an increase this time. Absolutely, yeah. The uh, dynamometer, I'd like to take a moment and explain to people why the rolling dynamometer is such a, is the only way you can really validate uh, fuel consumption improvements on a diesel engine or a gasoline engine. Is that okay? Yes. Okay, well, um, First of all, you've got the truck being controlled electronically, and it's running on the rollers that are providing rolling resistance. And so you, the electronic controls rev the truck up to a set point for RPM and then applied load. And so RPM and load are the two variables, variables that go into that formula to calculate horsepower, right? So very straightforward calculation. The horsepower is proportional to um, the uh, energy exerted to meet the load and, and to provide the RPM. And, hey, hey, Jane. Um, so we're eliminating... I, I don't, I don't okay. want to interrupt your train yeah. of thought, but we got to go back to like get close to the phone and stay looking right at it or kind of keep it oh. in. You Every now and then, as I think you might be turning your head and it starts to get muffled. Oh, so sorry. Yes, you're right. So what we're doing is eliminating the, mm -hmm. what we're doing is eliminating those external variables that, that uh, can influence uh, horsepower. And, and so that would be the driver style, the uh, external environmental factors, such as weather, uh, road pavement conditions, wind, um, the rolling dyno is inside of a, a bay that's enclosed, so you're not getting any influence from external environment other than temperature and humidity. Um, and so we've eliminated variables from just about every possible source. And now the only two things that are left are those that are directly related to horsepower, which determines fuel consumption, and that's load and RPM. So we measure the horsepower and the fuel consumption at fixed load and RPM, and we do that three three repeats, three repeats, and each repeat has to be within one percent, plus or minus one percent or two percent total of the first and second repeat. So once you've got three consistent readings, 
that are within 2% of each other, those that go into the baseline calculation um, for fuel consumption. And then, of course, we add the catalyst. We come back onto the rolling dyno, and we just do the whole thing over again, the same setup, same truck, same load, same RPM, same sequence of, of runs, again, um, achieving 2% or less difference between each individual run, take those averages, and that's the new benchmark for fuel consumption. And that's what we did at Bruce's shop. And when the numbers came back, at one um, RPM setting, we were 12% lower fuel consumption with the catalyst. And at the second RPM setting, we were at 14% less fuel consumption with the catalyst. And that was on the Cummins um, ISX 2016, I believe. What was the engine model? Um, 20, uh, there was a 2015 W9. You also have to talk mm -hmm. about right. we have the equipment to monitor fuel mileage. Not every dyno has that. And maybe Leroy can, when Jane's finished, can talk about how that piece of equipment works. Yeah, and, and not only that, the type of dyno, you had a water break for providing the resistance to the rollers as opposed to an electronically controlled resistance. And the water break, for, because it's an analog, and of course Leroy's the electrical engineer, I'm not, but the analog... Uh, mechanics of the water break, for instance, is much, much more accurate in determining fuel consumption measurements than is the electronically controlled resistance type of dyno. And that's when I found out that Bruce uh, had that, uh, I was just like, oh, this is, this is great. You know, I was like, uh, I don't care how much it costs. We're going to have this test done at his shop because he's got the right stuff. And we did. So I think Let's, we were there a week later, a week or two later. Right? One, one, uh, one week you were here for two days. It cost yeah. you $16,000 and and when I told you it was 8000 a day, you said, well, you're $92,000 a day less than Southwest Research in San Antonio. And I said, I know, but we don't deal with manufacturers. We deal with owner-operators, so we try to be very fair. But we also have all the emissions testing equipment, too. So, Leroy, why don't you talk about how we check for fuel mileage and, and what that piece of equipment uh, does? Yeah, so the, there are two main ways to sort of check fuel mileage on the dyno. Um, one is is a, the simple way, and the other way is using the exhaust emissions equipment stuff. So the first way is the more simple way, which is using our fuel management unit, which just pretty much just simply weighs the fuel before you start and then weighs the fuel after. So we kind of know what the the weight of diesel fuel is, and if you run exactly let's say 50 miles for three tests in a row, and you use, let's say, five pounds worth of fuel, you can figure out how many gallons that is. And then if you know how many gallons you, you used versus how far that you went, you can get a fuel mileage number from that. That is sort of the most simple, straightforward way. And the emissions equipment sort of takes a, a sample from the exhaust and then totals up the fuel burn based on the how much it sees in the exhaust stream as far as the extra hydrocarbons, CO2, stuff like that. It does its calculations to see how much fuel is burned and then gives you a fuel mileage number that way. I personally like the first way. Uh, 
because I think when we're doing our testing, we're not down to that sort of low uh, or that much precision. So I think using the fuel management, using just weighing the fuel before and after test is usually a, a pretty good indication of fuel mileage to us. Yeah, um, uh, my preference is to stick with the one that the EPA um, wrote, which is um, the method I described initially. I don't know if the fuel weight, I guess there's also a separate method for for weighing fuel um, that's on the EPA website. I'd have to go look. It's been a while. That was, that was the tool that we use, Jane, the weighing method. And it's just not a scale. I mean, this is a pretty elaborate piece of equipment. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, no, we used the emissions gas test. Oh, did we? Yeah, we did. We sure did. This was a, Leroy wasn't there at the time. Um, this was when we when you had um, his predecessor. Uh, okay, I forgot that we used that. Man, I gave you a hell of a deal at $16,000 for two days. <laughs> well, we were happy... <laughs> we were very happy with that price, and I think we still had to, to uh, stretch out the payments. <laughs> you should see what those gases cost and yeah, what that. it takes to get the gases just to do the emissions yeah. testing. I mean, it's it's crazy the amount of money when you're when you want to go into business and put a dyno in and be able to do fuel mileage and emissions testing. You just keep signing big checks. Yeah. And, That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because those um, you had to recertify that equipment every six months, or you, or else you really aren't yeah. out of uh, seven thousand dollars every six months, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even if you mm-hmm. don't use it. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin, on the hood that sucks the exhaust out of the truck. Now we we put that in on ten years ago. That hood alone was seventeen thousand dollars. <sighs> Those rails in the floor that you're supposed to strap the front tires down to that we don't have to because we have the dragon. Right. Those rails, just the rails, not putting them in, were $12,000. The hole that the dyno sits in, the hole was $17,000. It it just goes on and on and on and on. And and then you begin to question yourself. I mean, I was in my 60s when we did this. I thought, am I crazy? What am I doing here? Yeah, well, this is why you don't see a lot of dinos, and you don't see a lot of shops using dinos, but it is a a very powerful tool for a lot of stuff. That's exactly right. The people who are still in the business of doing emissions and fuel consumption testing have to charge an arm and a leg to cover their overhead, and and there just aren't there aren't any independent. Um, engineering companies out there that still provide that service. They just can't stay in business with it. Yeah. So thank you, Bruce. Um, uh, thank you, Bruce. You're welcome. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find the, um, the dyno test on the Pittsburgh Power website right now, and I'm having trouble pulling it up. <clears throat> but, uh, you really want to see how Catalyst works in gasoline, put it in a chainsaw that a guy works with every day or multiple days a week and put the catalyst in and let him pull that trigger and he'll look at you and smile because he sees that chain and that blade coming up in the air because of the extra torque. Guy laughed at me. 
that was working my chainsaw, and it was a, it was a brand new. What's the popular? Like a brain fade. What's the popular ones? The orange and white ones. Husqvarna. Steel. It's a brand steel. new steel. It's a steel, yeah. year old, and it, this yeah, this is a small one. And uh, he laughed at me. He said, "You really think those couple of CCs are going to make a difference?" <laughs> I said, "We'll see." He started up and ran for maybe thirty, forty seconds. He's holding that in front of him, and he's thirty-seven years old at the time. Pretty husky guy, and pulled that trigger, and it saw jumped up. He just smiled. There, there it is. There you go. Okay, when I back to your website, Bruce, uh, when I put in the search, um, when I put in rolling or dyno, it comes right up. Uh, and the test engine is a 2016 Cummins ISX CM2350, set at 550 horsepower. And so we began the test in April of 2018. But so anyway, your listeners might want to go in and read the details of this rolling dyno test we did. It's uh, described in full on the website. If you just uh, go to the little hourglass and enter dyno or rolling as uh, search uh, terms, it'll come right up. Okay. Yeah. Well, this was a nice walk down memory lane. I've enjoyed it very much. Okay. Um, I got to jump in here real quick. Uh, I am fighting with a huge technical problem. Nobody heard probably the last couple of minutes um, because everything I'm trying to power is not powering. Like my soundboard just went off because I didn't have power. My laptop's about to die in a second here if I don't figure it out. Uh, everything's plugged in, but nothing's charging. Uh, let me see why. What is going on here? Um, that's not good. Uh, can I change? Um Okay, you, you guys go ahead and talk because we've got audio right now and I'll try to figure out what I can do before everything dies. Yeah, so so one more time, Jane, what was the what was the thing you wanted me to expand on? Well, okay, I guess first of all, is there any other comments you'd like to make about the impact of octane number and gasoline and spark ignition? Um I think I think I do. But I might have to email you that because the questions I have, I don't know enough background knowledge to form a good question, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I have questions in my head, but I don't know. I'll sound silly because I don't know enough about chemistry to ask those sort of questions. You know what I mean? Oh, well, sure. Um, that's fine. But I, I, just, for, just for a sanity check, did my explanation of um, the max mileage fuel-worn catalyst improving combustion characteristics of of fuel as the basic underlying mechanism makes sense to you and, and for the reaction to occur. So that's how it improves combustion directly is just by lowering the internal energy that's required to break up the molecules and reform them on the other side of the reaction. So what we're, and what are those products that we're forming? The products of combustion. If everything gets 100% completion, that you generate a lot of heat. It's an exothermic reaction. You generate a lot of heat, and you also generate um, a highly oxidized form of carbon, which is CO2, and you also generate a little bit of water, H2O. Um, so you can always, always see water dripping out of uh, an exhaust tailpipe when it's, if you're waiting in traffic in the, 
and looking at the vehicle in front of you, and the conditions are right, you see you see water dripping out of the tailpipe, and that's a byproduct of complete combustion. And uh, so, by lowering that amount of internal energy that's required, the effect of the catalyst is just directly improving combustion, and that substantially lowers. So it improves combustion by about 10 percent efficiency, which directly translate into about 10% less fuel consumed to generate the same amount of work output. And um, that 10% improved in com- improvement in combustion thermal efficiency translates to 60 or 70% less soot, which is an incomplete product of combustion. So uh, soot is incompletely burned hydrocarbon molecules. It's um, formed as uh, as part of the com- during the engineers have formed it formed in the exhaust manifold. It starts it starts in the cylinder and uh, tiny little unburned um, particles form there and they they get bigger and bigger as they travel through the exhaust manifold and the temperatures start to drop and other small carbon particles agglomerate around um, each other and they form agglomerates that are big and and kind of oily and sticky and that's what that's what gets stuck on the moving parts of the engine and the exhaust uh, manifold so with the help of the catalyst we're burning away almost all of those big fat clumps of soot as as they're generated so we're generating far fewer of them and the ones that are uh, formed uh, tend to be burned away before the particle gets to the DOC and the DPF. And by the time they do get to the DPF, they're small enough just to pass right through it. And um, so, and you've got, again, you've got substantially less being formed in the first place simply because you're producing so much more heat and taking all of the fuel molecules to com- uh, combustion completion and producing more CO2, relatively amount more CO2, more water, and a lot more heat uh, relative to the incomplete products of combustion, which you don't want, and that the emissions after treatment systems are put in place to collect. So the, um, the diesel oxidative catalyst, it's collecting unburned um, hydrocarbon vapor. So that's vaporized fuel that hasn't completely burned and it's toxic. You don't want to, you don't want to breathe it. That's the nasty diesel loaders you get. The next in line is the diesel particulate filter and it's collecting the solid particles of unburned hydrocarbon, the aforementioned soot and smoke particles. Smoke is a colloid of solid particles particles dispersed in air. And then the third component in line is the selective catalytic reduction system, the SCR, and that's taking out NOx. Um, nitric and nitrous oxide combined is called NOx, N-O-X. And NOx is formed in the exhaust manifold because a lot of heat is translating from the combustion chamber into the exhaust manifold, that heat is heating up the metal um, exhaust pipe and that hot surface is reacting with nitrogen and oxygen in the atmosphere, remember it's on the atmosphere open side of the engine, and producing NO2. So those are nasties that the government doesn't like because of health effects. And that's what the SCR is designed to take out. And it does that by reacting NO and NO2 with uh, ammonia that's decomposed from urea solution going into another catalyst. 
a stationary catalyst and producing a reactant that um, reduces NO2 back down to N2, back to N2, which is um, something we all live and breathe in every day. It's just fine. But uh, it's, exp it's a, an expensive system to maintain. With an improvement in combustion efficiency, you're releasing that heat sooner upstream of the exhaust manifold. Therefore, the exhaust manifold temperature typically drops when you're using the catalyst um, as, a, as a symptom of improving combustion thermal efficiency. And with the lower exhaust gas temperature, you're producing less NOx. And people typically report that they're using less urea um, than they did before when they start using the catalyst. And so that's another side benefit to uh, keeping your trucks on a diet of the catalyst is a lower expense from urea and a longer lifetime of the SCR catalyst and the um, NOx sensors in that part of the exhaust after treatment system. So you, uh, to go back to the uh, lowering the energy level, that applies both to gas and diesel because they're similar like hydrocarbon strings. Diesel is just longer than gas. Is that sort of a, a true statement? Yes. Okay. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Did I hear you correctly? We're lowering nitric oxide? Okay. You might need to correct me there. What is NO? Is it nitrous or nitric? Oh boy, somebody with an NO2. Somebody better with chemistry uh -huh. is going to have to jump in here. I'm familiar with nitric oxide, but I don't know the designation for it only because we deal with it on the health side. That's why I jumped in. I thought that was interesting. Does anybody know what the uh, designation is? Let me look and see. Uh, nitric acid formula. Oh, that's HNO3. So sorry. Uh, so sorry. So in, let's, that's the, there must be something else. Let's see what is the name for, oh, I know what it's called. It's called um, mono, oh, maybe I don't. Okay, just N, what is NO called? Chemical name, NO chemical name. Got it. Nitric, nitric oxide. Yeah, okay. nitric oxide. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> so we're trying to reduce it in our emissions. We're trying to increase it in our body. Nitric oxide is, is what lowers blood pressure. Um, nitric oxide fixes ED because it, it improves blood flow. So nitric oxide is a pretty big deal in health. I didn't know we were even dealing with it in a truck. Okay, uh, let's clear something up. Um, I'm just looking at the source here. Nitric acid is NO3H. Uh, nitric oxide is NO, also known as nitrogen monoxide, analogous to carbon monoxide, CO, colorless glass with a form, colorless gas with a formula NO, one of the principal oxides of nitrogen. Um, yeah, I don't know about that, if it's the same stuff you're talking about. Interesting, yeah. Is huh. nitric, is, is nitric oxide. Yeah, nitric oxide, all of these oxides of nitrogen are severely irritating to the upper respiratory tract. You might be talking, but I, but I, know, um, I know where the confusion is coming from. I do, and we'll just have to research it further. Here's nitric yeah. oxide bi biology. Yeah, biology and pathobiology, so it might be. It's an interesting molecule in the body it might, because it can also cause damage. 
It's not total. It's not benign. Yeah. It does improve things, but there's a double edge to that because it can also damage things. Correct. That's what I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nitric oxide is a gas naturally found in the body that conveys information between cells. There you go. Yeah, the, um, the discovery of that, that it, it was yeah. the signaling molecule that allows our arteries and veins to relax. That, that's what it does. So Correct. when they discovered yeah. that, that yeah. discovery actually won a Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. Healthy benefits of a controlled diet and aerobic exercise, uh, recent links to the role of nitric oxide in, in the expression of healthy benefits of yeah. controlled diet and aerobic exercise. Yeah, that's a dilator. Uh-huh. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Yep, you're exactly right. And that's, you know, a lot of the um, near-eye infrared light therapies um, are based on releasing yes. nitric oxide in the Yep, in the dermal cells. We, we, we yeah. sell a an infrared sleeping bag, basically, is what it is in our store um, for drivers because it's easy mm-hmm. to carry with them in the truck, and they can lay in their infrared mm-hmm. sleeping bag and get all the benefits of that IR therapy. Uh huh. I ha- I installed a near IR sauna um, at my home, Excellent. and I love it. Excellent. Um, I do. All mm-hmm. right. So. Okay. So, thank you, Kevin. Um, so, yeah, the internal energy of of the uh, reaction is what we're a, a catalyst of any type will lo- lower, and that would apply for any uh, reaction. Um, another sort of subtle but important point is because we're blending the catalyst with fuel, it actually can contact chemically more molecules. And uh, so the conversion efficiency or the catalytic conversion efficiency is much higher when you have a catalyst that's uh, homogeneously blended into what you're trying to react, in this case fuel, than that's as opposed to one that's coated on a surface, which is called a heterogeneous uh, catalyst. So the activity of our approach to improving combustion efficiency by blending a little bit of the catalyst in with the fuel is um, just the, the only way to go if you really want to get to improved uh, reaction efficiency. So dramatically different than just passing the fuel over a bed of stationary catalyst and hoping it does the trick. Got it. All right. Um, I am watching the clock, guys. I think we're going to have to jump to some calls here. What do we say? Good. All right. Let's good. Do Jane, you want to hang out with us? Because the calls might be for you. I'd love that. Okay. I'll put it on mute until yeah, somebody we'll, comes we'll, on. We'll see what we've got. Uh, the first one might be for you. Let's go to Minnesota. Bill, welcome. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, yeah. Um, I had my uh, I testimonial on the, on the uh, catalyst because my DEF pump went out. And I ended up driving 100 miles to the nearest uh, Freightliner to dealer to get it replaced. And I didn't regen, I, I didn't derate once. So this, this product works great. Here's a question I got for you, Jane. What is the difference between the fuel catalyst and the fuel ox? Fuel, uh, our fuel borne catalyst and fuel ox. I think I know the answer to that. I think the fuel ox. I've researched it. I'm just getting old. My memory isn't as good as it used to be. Uh, <laughs> we all are getting old. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh. There's one. Uh, 
as one friend, uh, an anecdote from a high school friend, too many years and too many beers when he saw this old guy. <laughs> going <home. laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> when we were all kids. Right? <laughs> Jane, I don't want to, I don't want to hear it. You're 10 years younger than me. So. <laughs> okay. I am looking at a few ox and I've looked at it before. <laughs> Tell you what, let's take the next question, and I'm going to go and research my um, email log for for what I might have written about it. Got it. So All that right. okay. So just you know, hang out, and we'll come back with an answer on this. Okay. All right, Bill. I'm putting you back in the queue. Uh, don't hang up. We'll come back to you here in just a couple minutes. Uh, looks like we might be able to handle this one. Let's go to Kansas. Rusty, welcome. Good morning. I just first want to thank everybody for what you guys do and bring to the table because it's very helpful in all sorts of aspects of the business and just life in general. Well, you're but welcome. For a, a <laughs> testimonial, I use it in everything I own. And the latest improvement has been in our boat, and with it, it's an inboard-outboard 5.7 liter, which is a Chevy 350 Volvo Pinta, and it's the dual-prop outdrive, and it used to be to stay on plane, you'd have to run about 3,000 RPM. Now you can do it at 2,500, and so... If you're just cruising the lake, you're not necessarily in a hurry to get anywhere, but you don't want to be, you have to pick a speed, either get out or you stay virtually idle speed. And being able to cruise the lake at 2,500 RPM saves a tremendous amount of fuel. And so that's my latest. I, I, I got to add something there, to that. I, I got to say that is a shocking difference yeah it was i o. I mean 500 rpm yeah. kevin and huge. i had straight inboards and but for an io to operate that and keep the boat on plane i'm i'm shocked at that me too well me too. i think when i first tried it it was initially 7 2800 but as it cleaned up because i've run probably 100 gallons through it this summer and the last time we went out 2500 and it could stay on plane. Wow. Wow. What so, you know, a Chevy 350 is barely efficient at 2500. So, you know, it's a substantial improvement of just for people who just want to cruise the lake, not necessarily get somewhere in a hurry or put, you know, the just idle speed, you've got to constantly turn the steering wheel back and forth to stay going straight. But if you can get up on plane, it's a lot nicer of a cruise that way. Yeah. Plus, your wake is smaller, and you're not disturbing those of us that like the water ski. Exactly. Right, yeah. And I like to water ski, but we're not into fuel mileage when we water ski. That's correct. uh, (laughs) Kevin and I came from the competition into water skiing, and if you went by in plane, or not in plane, in in a plow, and you were putting out that three-fourth high roller, we were pretty upset with people like that. Absolutely. Yeah, right. I fully understand that. So my reason for the call today is I recently, uh, this weekend, I installed the OPS finally. 
So I'm not new to bypass. In the past, I was using an AMSOIL bypass system. And I guess a little back story, the engine we're talking about, it's an O2 Cummins M11 or ISM. It's technically an ISM. Uh, and I recently had it rebuilt about 55,000 miles ago. And when I got it back, my oil pressure was no better than it was before. And the bearings were shot. And so I was concerned about all that. I put in a manual oil pressure gauge and discovered that, well, the electronic gauge is off 3 PSI because I have the scan gauge. So that's what I usually go off of over the dash. And I got to thinking about my AMSOIL bypass filter and that it claims that they regulate flow to one gallon per minute. One and gallon I called per and talked minute. to their tech service. Yes, per minute. And I've called so in an hour, 60 gallons flows through it. And I've the- called and talked to their tech department about it. And because what ended up happening, I thought, I'm going to disconnect it, just put the plug back in the pressure side and run it. And I gained three PSI from doing that. And so so I called them to ask if there's a way that I could reduce the flow because I don't like the idea of taking away that much oil pressure from the system. And their response was, that isn't enough to hurt anything. And so that's when I finally turned to the OPS and decided I'm just going this route. And the other reason I wanted to go with the OPS after all these years is the oil in an ISM doesn't run near as hot as other engines. I mean, 200 is pretty common for a normal day working it. And so I, and I've always had sort of oxidation problems in the past. And so that's, I guess that's the speed of where I'm at. Got it. So first okay. off, the the um, the oil flow rate at a gallon a minute tells me that their filter isn't what it should be. You can't filter oil that fast. That's the whole point of a bypass is well, we do it very slowly. Bruce, am I right that the OPS is one gallon an hour, not one gallon a minute? Am I right on that? Yeah, I think so. Pete, is is that what the OPS is, a gallon an hour? That is correct. So in a, a normal day of driving, you would be able to clean your oil in your oil pan. Right. Most capacities 10 to 12 gallons, you drop 10 to 12 hours. Exactly. That so behind that. the thought of a bypass filter flowing at a gallon a minute sounds crazy to me. Yeah. Well, it's a huge filter. I mean... Their filter has a one-inch inlet into it, and you use half-inch lines feeding it. Yeah, ours has got a, a tiny little so jet in there to get it down to a gallon gets, an hour. Yeah. Right, which I don't think that it was really helping. It claims that it's down to two micron, but if, like you said, if you're just shooting oil through there that fast, it just probably eventually finds the easiest path of resistance, and that's where it stays. Yeah, I, I'm, you not know, even, actually I'm not clean. even sure how you can claim that you're filtering down to two microns that fast. I don't even, I don't know that that's physically possible. Yeah, I don't. I mean, 
you can look it up on their website, yeah. but it's it's a huge filter. It probably holds holds at least a gallon. It's well, bigger than my I mean, full flow will filter. Yeah, imagine. I don't know if you've ever seen the Gulf Coast filter. I think that thing held like four or five gallons. I mean, it was a monster. Um, and and the reason it actually worked was because it was four or five gallons that you changed every ten thousand miles. The filter. So you were putting in three or four gallons of new oil every 10,000 miles. Of course, your oil's clean, but it's costing you a fortune to keep replacing all that oil and replacing that filter that often. So um, the OPS had huge advantages over see, the other filters because of all these reasons. Right. And this one, their claim is you don't change it, but every 120,000. Well, that at least makes more sense to me, but I don't, the filter. Yeah, I don't like this high right. flow it rate. Makes sense. I don't like the fact that we're pulling oil pressure off the engine. I don't even care if it's three pounds. Why, why should we pull any pressure off the engine? Yeah, well, normally I run 40 pounds of pressure, but if you get the oil hot and you're lugging on it, it's fairly common to bring that down to 35. And if you drop three off of that, you right. start to get into territory that just, yeah. it does so, start to matter because so you're I at see in low the, enough numbers. That, the notes, I want to make sure we get to the real issue. We don't get too sidetracked here. You've, you've got the, yeah, OPS. Okay. are you having a problem yeah, with oil coming out of the vent? Yes. All right. Let me ask you this. Right. And I want to. I think I can solve this pretty quickly. I can either solve it pretty quickly or I'm not going to have any idea and we're going to have to try to figure it out. I want you to look at the installation or or picture it if you can remember it. That that return line needs a nine inch drop back to where it goes back to the engine. The filter has to be the, the, where the vent or the um, overflow tube comes out has to be nine inches higher than where it goes into the engine. And if it's not, you will pump oil out that. I, I had this problem. We almost rebuilt a brand new engine over this. I had. I've yeah, told this, I remember that, yeah, that story. If you've heard that story, that that's the only thing I know that causes this. If it's something else, we're going to have to figure it out. It's a very tiny bit that's come out. In fact, it took. It only will happen when I'm pulling on it hard. And one of the symptoms said it could be excessive blow-by, and I'm assuming crankcase pressure is what we're talking about. Right. And. So I guess part of the question was, can I extend the, I guess if that line needs to terminate nine inches higher than where it goes into the pan, then I can't really extend it down lower to the ground because I was wanting to get it down to where it doesn't spray on anything. But No, I'm not talking about the line. I mean, you can make your drain line as long as you want it to be. We just have to make sure the physical filter itself is mounted higher than where the return oil is going back into the engine. Yeah. Yeah. I mounted it on the top edge of the frame rail of the system. And then the return goes into the very bottom of the side of the oil pan. 
Here was another mistake I saw. Somebody had mounted the filter up high enough, but they ran the return line under the frame, and then it had to go back up to get into the engine. And that won't work either. No. Okay. No, it it don't go up. It is gradual all okay. down to it. And it's not a very long line. And I guess the other thought is, in the instructions, it says it's okay that it's below the oil line of the pan, the, you know, the oil yes, level in the okay. pan. Okay. okay. And so I'm kind of back to the only thing that it could be is blow-by, excessive blow-by is the cause. And in the past, there's been talk on 14 running fairly high horsepower. You probably need to add a second uh Blow by a valve. Um, this is an ISM and it's set at 450 of a Cummins RV program. It's a Cummins program, but I thought, well, either I need to do that or I just need to wait longer for it to fully break in because there's only 55,000 since the end frame. So just Pete, a couple. Gonna, quick, hey, Pete, can you couple. increase the size of the orifice a little bit? Yeah, depending on, um, so we, we did on some of these trucks, we had issues with where they would come out to the drain vent, and we put a larger, we went from a 10,000 orifice, I believe, from 10 to 13. So not much of a change, but it was enough to um, keep that from leaking off the top. So, you know, if he does what Kevin does says first, make sure the drain is correct. If that's correct, then the next thing is um, we can send him another orifice. Okay. Yeah. If you if you can find a machine shop that has what's called numbered drill bits, okay. you take that orifice into them, and they'll put an, a a drill bit through there, and then they'll be able to go up three thousands, and it's that simple. Okay. That'll work. And this is the orifice that's on the brass fitting that's threaded up inside where the oil filter threads on. Is that where we're talking? Or are we talking the orifice? Okay. And Right. Another thing I wanted to kind of mention was in I feel a lot of heat up towards the top of the filter, but down low it basically cools off. Is that normal or... And that could even be an indication that we're not, we're not getting the flow that we want, and that orifice would would do both eliminate the overflow issue you're having and ensure that the whole filter gets gets hot. Okay, and, and 10, all 000, right. Oh, it doesn't take much. And then, if say a bit of debris gets in there, uh, you know, it wouldn't take much to to close that off. Okay, which could be from the initial install of you know, putting on new hoses or could just be any sort of Correct. that could be. Because yeah. it seems like when I first started it, I got the, when I got it kind of warmed up because it said to warm everything up, of course, check for leaks, and then take an oil sample so that way you establish a baseline, which I've been doing oil analysis, but I don't have a one from a fresh oil change. I've never done it that way. And so when I did all that, the whole oil filter was hot but then 
the last two days now that I've drew, drove it, it's I've noticed towards the bottom, it's like halfway down and the rest of the way down, it's just air temperature, not air, but not very warm, really. And so maybe that is what happened. It just got sort of plugged up from debris. So should I just try cleaning that first before no. I drill it? No, just make it, take it from 10 to okay. 13. Okay, will do. Well, thank you very much. Try those bits yourself as well. There's places that sell uh, the small bits like that. And, and whatever yeah. number bit equivalent to 13,000, or you know, give or take a thousand either way. Okay. It would be all you get new. Just work it in there with, uh, put it in a pair of vice grips and kind of turn it around and, and open up the hole some. Okay. Do you know why we have work. them here? Do you know why we have those little drill bits here and we've had them for about 45 years? When you're calibrating a big cam injector and you need just a couple more cc's, but the next size orifice is too big and you take that orifice out, you hold your that drill bit with your fingers and you just go through that little orifice and you get your flow rate that way. Okay. And also when you're making hoses, you got to be really careful that whenever you're putting that together, there's a trick to getting those fittings to slide into. If you're using air equip or Stratoflex, you can push the rubber over and then you get no flow. And if I'm making a hose, like for fuel line or oil drain line, I always blow air through it. If it's a short hose, I hold it up to the light so I can see through it. If it's a long hose, you can't see through it, but I always blow air through it. And I use plenty of grease whenever I'm putting that fitting down inside. And when I'm putting the male down inside the female portion of it. Yeah. Well, I blew through them with just my mouth, but I probably should have done compressed air just to make sure I get any debris that could have been in there already out. I didn't really think about that. But it's easy enough to take apart that I'll just probably take the lines off to be sure and, and, and clean the orifice, and that should be that. All right. Well, thank you guys very much. Increase it three thousands and get back to us next week and let us know. There you go. We, uh, um, uh, Dr. Jane, is it okay to go back to that uh, catalyst call? Yes, Kevin, it sure is. I'm ready ready now. Perfect. All right. Bill, here we go. Let's do this again. All right. I'm all ears. Okay. Yes, Bill. Uh, fuel ox fuel is a is a combustion catalyst. Different formula. Theirs is proprietary. Their their formula is proprietary, both like ours is. So they are a competitor, um, being of a different formula. Their treat ratio is also different. Um, the max mileage fuel bowl catalyst treat ratio, as you know, is one part catalyst to 3,200 parts fuel, diesel in particular. Um, The Fuel Ox product, it's one part of Fuel Ox catalyst to 10,000 parts diesel. So um, one ounce treats um, about three and a half times more, three times more, yeah, roughly three times more. 
So that would treat up to 75 gallons of fuel. And so you'd have to meter it out differently. It's uh, uh, The unit cost is also different, so the, the bottles are more expensive than ours. Um, their 16-ounce bottle is around $75. Ours is uh, just under 30 so you can um, do the math yourself and work out what the cost per treated gallon is and whether you want to adjust your well, measure and pour. the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a different form- formula, different mm-hmm. brand, different company. Completely different businesses, but yeah, probably the common link is the active ingredient, which is the only, um, yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. That's fine. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the yep. call. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Let's, uh, okay, let's go to Michigan. Kim, get the final word today. It's going to be our last call. What's on your mind? Final word. Hey, Bruce, you're going to get a kick out of this. I've got a 1953 Ford Jubilee, and I run the max mileage in that. And when that truck was, or when that tractor was original, you know, they had regular fuel, which was had to add lead. Well, the whole time I've had it, I've had to use lead additive, some kind of stuff in a can I just add to it. Well, since I use the max mileage, I just stopped using that lead additive and the tractor just runs better. There's no, when you start it, there's no smoking. Oh, speaking of smoking and throttle response, I have an 89 Banshee, uh, 350 twin Yamaha. How do you? You still have a Banshee. I do, yeah. Wow, wow, that was quite a machine. That response, just touching the trick, just touching the trigger. Yeah, it'll pull you. You have to hang on tight because it'll, yeah. Nice. I wanted a banshee so bad back then, and I couldn't get one. Yeah. Well, my son has a four stroke, and he thinks his is pretty fast. Well, he jumps on my banshee, he's like, it's just the two stroke versus the four stroke. The two stroke is just super quick right away. What was the banshee? The four stroke, you know, that all. It was a Yamaha 350 twin. A street bike? It, no, no, quad. Oh, oh, Kevin, you remember when we rode to Sand Dunes? Yeah. Remember when we rode to Sand Dunes? Yeah, in Utah. And how hard it would make our machine work? Yeah, we couldn't get to the top of the hill. Well, I'll tell you, that Banshee just, that Banshee just charges right up those sand dunes out in the west. Got it. So it's a, is it? It's I a, had a Yamaha Warrior. And I was trying to keep up with guys with banshees, and they, they're at the top of the hill, and I'm about a third of the way up, and I had to turn around and come back down. Got it. But this Ford Jubilee, is that a farm tractor? Yeah, it used to be. I just use, It's got a bucket on it and a back blade. I use it for around the house. We have eight acres, so I use it with a brush hog. I use uh, just different attach, just different things what when year, I'm home. What year is it? But they actually... When I, 1953. Holy cow. That's awesome. They actually called it a jubilee. Yeah, golden jubilee. Huh. God, we're learning so much stuff today. This is amazing. This is an amazing show today. What we're all learning. It's a. Hey, it's amazing. I never heard of, the, of a jubilee. And speaking of the multi-cylinder, the, the jubilee looks similar to a small. Go ahead. Yeah, speaking of the multi-cylinder small two-strokes, my first street bike, Bruce, was a. 380 Suzuki, three-cylinder, two-stroke. Oh, that was pretty quick, wasn't it? Oh, it was was like a motocross bike on the street. Yeah. Is that the one you crashed? Uh, No. 
The one I crashed, that was a unique motorcycle. That was the first six-cylinder motorcycle. That was a 79 Honda CBX, that straight six. Yeah. Yeah, that thing so, was So, Kevin, you crazy. didn't know about the Banshee, huh? The Yamaha Banshee. I do not remember the Banshee at all, no. Wow, that was a status symbol, man. Huh. That's like having a 379 Pete. I don't know how I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> You have to have the aftermarket exhaust, of course, but Chingon. Oh, yeah. Where, where do you live? Oh, I live in Michigan. I'm going to say, I like to take that Banshee for a ride. I never got to ride one of those. Oh, we have dunes up here, too. Silver Lake sand dunes. You know, for yeah. for years, one of the best modifications you could make on a two-stroke was putting a good expansion chamber on it that was built right. The exhaust was important on those things. Oh, hey, the, um, speaking of two-strokes there, you know, my chainsaw, my leaf blower, the Banshee, and my daughter have. My daughter has a, the little Yamaha, the little 250 two-stroke. Um, anyway, I'll think of it in a minute. Do I want to change, if I'm using the 1cc per gallon, do I want to change my two-stroke oil? Do I want to lessen that no. up a little bit? No. Okay. No, just keep that the same. You know, a couple of years ago at the owner-operator snowmobile conference, I think we treated 15 or 18 snowmobiles. Some were rentals, some were privately owned, and about eight or nine miles down the trail, everybody stops. I think it was Nick Carter turned around and said to the rest of the guys, is it me, or did I, do I think this thing is more responsive? And it was unanimous. Everyone thought it was more responsive having the catalyst. Josh from turning around transport and I are going around with our uh, with our little syringes and treating the fuel and that was a fun morning. All right. Yeah, that's what we use, a syringe. Little little baby dropper. I just gotta yeah. tell my wife because she's got a Ford escape and I just tell her just one CC per gallon, no matter how many gallons you're putting in, just always do that afterwards and you'll be good. She goes, Can't you just give me a little jar? I'm like, nope, just use the plunger. <laughs> so that way, if you're getting 10 gallons or 7 gallons, yeah. she just doesn't like to fill up. I I can be gone for two weeks and come back and her car's on empty. <laughs> Almost every time I get into it. She's like, well, I'll fill it up before I go somewhere. I'm yeah. like, well, what if there's an emergency? Shouldn't you have it full if you have to go somewhere? To the, house? The, yeah. the rule in the wintertime is if you get to a half a tank and you're traveling in snow country, Fill it up. You always fill up. Oh, and when we used yeah. to snowmobile in northern Quebec, every time there was a gas station, you filled up because sometimes you didn't have enough gasoline to make it to the next town. Yeah, think about so, that when you're in Wyoming. That's right. I agree. All right, Kim, so anything I've got else? This 20, yeah, I've got this 2018 uh, Cascadia DD15. Um, my other truck was a 96 FLD and I used the max mileage in that and I'm using it in this, but it's time for oil change on this 75, 75,000 miles. I don't have any kind of bypass on it yet. That's on the list. So I want to go with the full synthetic, but what's going to work best full synthetic wise with using the max mileage. Is there uh, any oil that's different? No, no, it doesn't make any difference. So being that I'm up here in North, so I do Minnesota out to East Coast. So I stay up North all winter. Do I want to go with that T6 
that are not T6. What is that? What is that real thin T- stuff called? T6 is their full synthetic, and I believe now it does come in a 30 weight. I think you can get T6 in a 530, which is what I would choose for winter time in cold environments. Okay. So if I just use that in cold environment, if I happen to go down south in the summertime once or twice, that, delivering flowers? That, that oil okay. is... is so protective that's such a high quality oil being full synthetic the these engines are designed for the 30 weight and in reality that that first number doesn't really matter it it doesn't change anything in hot all it does is tell us that we can go colder and colder and still have good starting as that first number gets lower yeah we could even go down to a zero 30 i don't think anybody makes one in trucking uh, truck oils that I'm aware of, but a lot uh, of the car oils and other oils, we can find zero thirties now and, and they'll start great in, you know, below zero temperatures. Yeah. We have to use some kind of goofy oil in our Polaris ATVs, like a zero 55, right. zero 60. Yeah. There, there are some, you Just know, because weird. it's the same. Yeah. But the, okay. That's all I, you know, the, the bypass is, is on my list. It's just, I've only had the truck three months and I just had to figure out what the first few things are. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have go. the halo system. I have tire pressure monitor system. Hey, I have, how do you like you the know, halo? things like that? You're the first person I've talked to that has a halo system. Well, how do you like it? I like it. I would, I like it um, because I don't have to mess around um, checking the, the temperature or the air pressure in all four tires. See, my 96 had wide base singles. So right. I only had to check four tires. Exactly. Now I have to check yeah. eight. I know. But with the tire pressure monitor, if I didn't have this tire pressure monitor system, I don't know if I could trust the halo. It, because right. you think that it's working. Yep. But yeah. You know, did, you, right. you don't know until you're. You still want to know. Now, yep. Michelin owns yeah. that now, right? That I think would be different. Yeah. The only thing that I think would be different if there was some kind of pressure release. Because when I'm looking at my rear tires and, and it's really hot uh, and they're up to. Hey. 127, 130. Just ignore it. No, you would never want to release that pressure anyway. Forget that high pressure while you're driving. We never pay attention to it. We're always looking at cold pressure before you start driving. And as long as that cold pressure is fine, you're never going to get enough pressure in that tire to hurt anything just by driving. Bruce, that that halo system that we're talking about, you mount it on... Mm -hmm the hub and it basically is it uses the spinning motion to pump air and keeps your tire inflated so if you lose air yeah, is that right yeah it will, yeah it will actually pump the tires up to keep the pressure you've set them at it came out um the first time I first time I heard about it actually was one of the guys who used to work at OPS a long time ago and he left and went to this company, Halo, when they started. And he called me, and I was really interested in it. I even lined up like three or four people to test it. And I talked to him, and I said, can we get some test units? I want to try this thing. He's like, sure, no problem. And then I just never heard from the guy again. Haven't heard from him since. And then a couple months after that, I heard that Michelin bought it, and um, we talked about it again. But you're the first person I've talked to that actually has one. Yeah, the only thing that I was a little disappointed with, I'm going to get 
because of the halo. It wouldn't be able to catch air, and there's no way to mount those discs. But I can have that little wing that yeah. goes by the mud flap. Yeah, so okay. I'll be able to have the majority of that. Good, yep. good. So, yeah, the, the smallest things that I can buy, um, that's what's on my list first. There you go. It's going to work it that way. So I can buy two or three. I'm not testing like you guys do. Right. And I've listened right. to your show long enough to know that this stuff works, like the air tabs. Yep. Air tabs, you know, that's kind of a cleaning device if you think about it. <laughs> I know. There, Just there's... because of the air, the air, you know. Yeah. Now, so many yep. people, that product, when we first brought it out in years after, people would say, I have no idea if it improved my fuel mileage. And we know that it does, but we can't measure it. It's too small to measure. We know that, but we know it works because the testing's been done. But everybody that ever bought them said, even if it didn't improve my fuel mileage, I'm keeping them and I would buy them again and I'll put them on every truck that I have. They they love the the airflow change. It's easier to see in your mirrors. Things stay cleaner. So it, it definitely changes the aerodynamics. Well, when I first got this truck, so coming from the 96, you know, everything's bumpy and rough and there's all kinds of air, wind noise coming from everywhere. This truck's pretty quiet inside. But the first, the biggest thing that was to get used to, I felt like I'm riding on a marshmallow. I mean, oh, the yeah. truck just right. kind of just, it feels marshmallow -y. But put the air tabs around. on, and it kind of stiffened me up. Yep. Yep. I've, I've heard that before. So, that's kind of weird that you would think these, these little triangles are, are going to make you feel more stable. Yeah. It just, it's yeah. It's how powerful it airflow I, I, is. I like it. All right. Good stuff. All right. Yep. We, um, Unfortunately. Oh, we are going to wrap this up for today. Um, I have got to get on with my day. Uh, Bruce, Dr. Jane, Pete, Leroy, anybody want to close with anything? Well, we didn't have Ben today. We didn't have Paul today. And we didn't have uh, Angie's husband, a brain fan. Matt, Matt. Yeah. We didn't have our three regulars today. No, we didn't. We had a lot of... Uh... Yeah. Good, good calls, though. A lot of good topics, so I enjoyed it. I'd like to keep going, but we uh, we got to get on with the day. we got a lot going on. I am I'm up in Bellingham. We're almost in Canada, so we got some things we got to go oh, get you done are. today. Yeah, um, my son and his wife are having a baby, our first granddaughter, so we had to sneak in a trip to get up here and see him before we leave. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I've worked I worked on a logging truck up there with one of our high horsepower big cams. Lots of logging trucks up here, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, yeah. Of, a lot of that going on. All right. Anybody okay. else? Nope. Nothing. Right. Nope. Nothing. Well well now I really need to go because you should see the plate of food Lisa just delivered to me for breakfast. Man, does it look good. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so now I'm going so I can eat, and then we'll get on with the rest of our day. Uh, anybody else? Anything? And one of the, one of the uh, one of our clients, your client and my client, that's on the keto diet, talked to our Mac, the guy that takes our drivers to and from the hotel, and he's out cutting grass right now on a John Deere. Uh, talked to him about keto. Nice. We're in our minivan going to the hotel. And he started about three months ago. He's down 45 pounds. Excellent. Love hearing that. Love yeah. seeing it spread. Yeah. Good stuff. So. 
All right. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. We will see you back here tomorrow. Let me check. I've got a couple announcements here. Uh, Joel Salatin will be joining us tomorrow. Um, Joel is releasing a new book right now called Homestead Tsunami. Kind of good timing for me, considering we're just signing on a homestead the day after. So uh, we'll be talking with Joel about that tomorrow. We'll see you then. I don't think I have anything else. Let me double check. Make sure I'm not missing something. Uh, that should do it. All right. We'll see you back here then. Hey, oh, hey, Kevin, go ahead. Real, real quick. Yeah. Dr. Joel Wallach. Do you know him at all? I do. Dr. Joel Wallach. I do. That doctors don't lie. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yep. All right. We all right, will. Call me sometime. I want to talk to you about, about his stuff. Will do. All right. Um, all right. We'll, we'll see Bye-bye. you back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable. Oh, I know. I, I knew there was another announcement, but I forgot to write it down. I'm glad I just remembered it. No spaces this week. So we won't be doing any um, spaces on Twitter or X or whatever you're calling it these days. Uh, we're just too pushed for time. We want to make sure we get the live show in. So spaces will be uh, put on hold till next week. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey.